Life is chaotic, perhaps especially so for small children learning more about the world. How can parents give their kids an education during early childhood that leads to an orderly future amid the chaos? Well, the answer might just be Montessori schools. Former Montessori educator and Ohio State School Board President Debbie Terhar shares about the wealth of benefits awaiting children who attend Montessori schools. Keep listening to today's episode of the State of Education to learn more. Our guest today is Debbie Terhar. Debbie graduated summa cum laude from Xavier University with a BSBA in Montessori Early Childhood Education. She is a former Montessori Early Childhood Education teacher at the Summit Country Day School in Cincinnati. Debbie owns her own business, Hope Chest Heirlooms, where she specializes in heirloom quality children's special occasion clothing. She is also vice president of administration for Strategic Planning Advisors, LLC, a consulting firm founded by her husband, Lou. In 2010, Debbie was elected to the State Board of Education of Ohio, representing Hamilton and Warren counties. She served as president of the state board for all four years of her term until her retirement in December of 2014. Her primary focus was the expansion of early childhood education opportunities for Ohio's youngest residents. Debbie also served as a member of the Governor's Early Childhood Advisory Council the Xavier University President's Advisory Council, Xavier University Women of Excellence Council, and the Parents' Advisory Council of the Kelly O'Leary Center for Autism. She and her husband of 49 years live in Cincinnati, Ohio. They have four children and six grandchildren. So Debbie, welcome. We're so glad to have you join us for this conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, our conversation. This is just an absolute wonderful opportunity to be with you today. Well, we are also delighted. Let's start by talking about Montessori and early childhood education. Wonderful. So, I mean, that's what you went to school for. You taught in that field, and this has been a little while ago. So let's just start with this. There are many different concepts of learning. What are some distinctions of the Montessori method? What attracted you to it? And are you still a fan? If so, why? Oh, I, I will always be a fan of Montessori education. I think it's an absolutely fantastic um, beginning for an education journey for a child. Our youngest, our, our oldest child began a Montessori preschool in 1980. I didn't know why I wanted her to be in a Montessori school, to be quite honest, because I had not done any real research on it. But it just, it, it spoke to me when I went and visited in the classroom. I love the idea of the prepared environment for, uh, for the children. I love the idea of in a three to six classroom, children are learning from each other. Uh, free will is encouraged. Independence is encouraged. And the connection between the hand and the mind uh, was, was just fascinating to me. I think it's an excellent start for a child for, uh, for their education journey. And yeah. I'm, 
I was thrilled that I was able to do it. Now, there are some elements to it which are, are fabulous, so a little aside, um, the practical life, which is learning to pour things, and that, that's a connection with the hand, mm-hmm. and it's sorting and cleaning, dusting, all those things. Our youngest son um, didn't spend much time in practical life, and I know that because I visit his condo every now and then, so <laughs> I, I, know, I know that it, it's a little bit more practical life experience, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe he's just so busy doing other things that uh, uh, the home is, uh, it'll be there when he gets home, right? <laughs> well, he, it, it, it's always there. He's our connection to the Kelly O'Leary Center for Autism. Our youngest son has Asperger's syndrome. Okay. So we're, we're very fortunate that his education allowed him to, uh, to graduate from college and Excellent. he's employed and living on his own. So yeah. Montessori started him really well. Another point on the early childhood education, I think it's it's incredibly important. Uh, as I testified before the Senate Committee on Early Childhood, it it really is essential uh, to provide the the benefit of early childhood education early on. And when you when you do that, when you make that kind of commitment as a state, you interrupt the dropout to prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. It is a big investment. It's $500 million plus to do it. And it, there aren't many legislatures that are ready to make that commitment yet. And I'm, I'm, I regret that. For those that may not be terribly familiar with Montessori, as was already mentioned, it's very much a hands-on, it's uh, oh, yes. experimental, it's uh, lots of touching and doing and talking about things and processes and it just interaction and engagement around real things. Um in a well-structured, uh, healthy environment home, those kind of things should be happening where parents and siblings, there's that interaction, uh, there's time spent together, there's learning. Parents are those first teachers, really, everything from helping a child learn how to eat and learn how to walk and learn how to, you know, just all of those things that parents are so central to. Uh, But then as the child continues to grow, it's, you know, counting and numbers and colors and what are things called and all of that kind of just normal learning uh, in those early childhood years that just is continued on. And really, I see that very much the Montessori kind of as a continuation of that. And maybe to some extent, trying to fill a gap where parents who are working parents and maybe are not able to be engaged with their children as they'd like to be. Um, And so what is the optimum environment for young children to be engaged in learning? Is it the family? Is it the school? Is it a combination you know, obviously every parent has their idea, many educators are proponents of certain things, but at the end of the day, what's the best thing we can do for our kids? Our children are the stakeholders in this. They're the ones whose future is affected. So we need to provide an environment for them to be able to learn appropriately. I believe the Montessori method brings order 
to quite often a chaotic existence for a number of children. And it helps them with their social construct in working together with their own community. We have about 25 children in a classroom and they're able to work together and we work as a unit. You, you help others. Um, I, I just think it's a, it's, it's a fabulous environment for, for children to be in. Not every child is, is a candidate for a Montessori education. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that the vast majority of children can thrive in a, a Montessori environment. It's a well-prepared environment where you have a teacher as, as a facilitator and observer. You watch where a child is in the continuum of learning. You, you help them to get to the next level. Well, that's a good transition to talk about your experience serving on the Ohio State School Board. So, <laughs> so let's launch into that. How did you get on the Ohio State School Board and why did you decide to do it? Well, I, I, I decided to do it um, because I, I wanted to, I felt that I could possibly make a difference in lives of children with education. Mm-hmm. And in, in 2005, um, my husband asked me if he would, if, if I could join him in his business, I'd stop teaching and join him with it, with his business, which I did. Our, our youngest son had just graduated from high school. And I said, okay, that we'll do that. So um, I, I stayed involved with substitute teaching. And uh, then in 2010, um, I saw in our, our county chairman had put out uh, that the gentleman who had served the past eight years on the State Board of Education, who represented Hamilton and Warren County, District 4, uh, was term limited. And would someone like to step up and uh, run for the position? It was an elected position. Mm-hmm. So I spoke to my husband and I said, you know, what? I, I, I think maybe I would like to do this. It's only two days a month. This this could be something that would be really cool. I had never run for office or anything. So I, um, he, he said, okay, that sounds great. And let, let's do that. So I pulled the petitions, got my signatures, got on, on the ballot. I had four opponents who were on my side of the aisle and one who was not. Um, it, it was, you can't have an R or a D next to your name. You are nonpartisan. Yep. Uh, so it ended up that election night, I won uh, by 4,000 votes out of 1.2 million people in, in the district. So mm-hmm. it was, it was rather, rather close, uh, but I, I won the seat and mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was fascinating. So uh, normally when you go on to the state board of education, you go in and uh, you, you take your seat and you listen to all the people who've been there before and you make, make decisions and that's great. Well, 10 days before I took the oath of office, I got a call from the governor's office. Mm-hmm. The governor wants you to run for president of the state board of education. And I was just shocked. <laughs> and I, I said, um, so I, I just got elected. Who in their right mind goes on to a 19 member board and on the first day walks in and says, oh, by the way, I'm running for president. Yeah. And they said, you do. And I said, well, I, I'm, I've got a, the, I got my husband I, I want to talk to about this. Uh-huh. So we discussed it. And he said, look, you wanted to go to Columbus to make a difference in the lives of kids. Here's your chance. Either do it or not. And I said, OK. So I did. 
first day, walked in and said, I'm running for president. And uh, we, we had a vote. I did not win that. My vice president did. Uh, but it ended up that by March, I was elected president of the board. What mm -hmm. happened was there was a secret ballot uh, in, in January, and that's against the law, the mm -hmm. sunshine laws. Mm -hmm. So we ended up having to defer all of our February meeting, and then it went into March. Mm -hmm. So in March, I was elected president of the board. The board is, not, as I said, it's a 19-member board. There are 11 elected uh, members and eight appointed members, and they're appointed okay. by the governor. We're not a part of the executive branch. We're not a part of the legislature. We, we have a constitutional mandate um, that tells us we are in charge of education policy. Uh, and our other mandate is that we hire this um, superintendent of public instruction. Okay. So that's it. So okay. I, I, spent, I spent four years on the, on the State Board of Education in 2013. I was reelected as president of the board uh, unanimously. So it, wow. it, we, we ended up being able to, to work together. Generally speaking, what is the role and responsibility of a state school board and its members? So you, you mentioned a couple of things. Uh, you may want to hit those again, uh, but, but then anything else you want to add to that? Well, as I said, we did. We take care of the policy, education policy. the The legislature is has gotten more and more involved in education policy. Um, it, my responsibility was not only to my constituents from mm -hmm. the fourth district, but I was answerable to 1.8 million children, mm -hmm. and I I took that very seriously. It was a 24 seven job for me. My uh, personal cell phone number was listed on the state's website and people called me from all over the state with all different kinds of issues. It, it, it was just, it was a fabulous thing. So I went from a two day a month idea to a, a four day a week um, commitment, four to five days a week commitment yeah. uh, to to the state, and it it was it was great. I had one one lady. It was absolutely hilarious. It was a February night, and uh, I had just was just getting off of an airplane, uh, coming home from from Florida, and uh, my phone rang, and I I answered it and said hello. And the woman on the other line, she said, I, I, I can't. Is it really you? I. I I can't believe it's, it's, it's Mrs. Terror. And I said, well, yes, it is. What can I do for you? And she said, well, my, my daughter brought home a blizzard bag. <laughs> and she's very upset about the contents of this blizzard bag. And I, I had to let her know, you know, I, I am the state board of education president and I don't have anything to do with blizzard bags. Mm -hmm. That's your local board president who would be working with that. And she was yeah. very, very grateful in, in the conversation. But that's the type of thing. You have to be responsive yeah. to the people that you represent. Yeah, for sure. That's it's 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 critical. So here's another question for you. How do you define education and what role do you think government oversight should have in it? So I look at education as a cultivation of um, the not only cognitive, but the social, um, moral and emotional aspects of a child to be able to become a, a healthy, successful, mm -hmm. mature individual who 
is then able to contribute to his family, um, to his community, and to society in general. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I think the goal of education is. Mm-hmm. And the 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 state level piece of this is the accountability piece. We spend billions upon billions of dollars in Ohio on education. It's the largest part of our budget. Yeah. And you need to know that the taxpayer dollars that are very hard earned dollars sent to the state, that those dollars are being spent wisely. And it's that accountability piece that is the real, the real trick here. So, wow, you, you gave us some significant things here to think about. And one of them is the statement that uh, education is the largest part of the state budget. Um, I think that's probably true for all of our states. I may be wrong, but it certainly, if it isn't the top, it's at the top uh, in, in, you know, in that mix uh, in every state. And, and I don't have a problem with that because it is so critical in nature because it's, it's developing our people. It's developing our workforce. It's uh, holding our society together. Uh, The other thing that you mentioned was, you know, that as you saw education, it's the cognitive, or in other words, knowledge-based uh, ability to think and work and understand and create and those kind of things, as well as the social side of interaction and relationship and values and all of those kind of things. Uh, I agree with you. Um, uh, in today's world, Um, It seems uh, that many states are, you know, and we're seeing in a very broad sense uh, that there is a big movement uh, away from particularly accountability in the cognitive side of education. And there are elements of influencers that are really promoting the social side of things, but not so much around best practices or that that evidence-based theories and concepts, but really almost an experimental thing in the socials. Talk right. to us a little bit about that. And I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's a little like the flavor of the month. What are we, yeah. we going to do this month? It, 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 for me, there is too much emphasis on the social uh, aspect of this. I really think we need to move back towards the fundamentals yeah. of reading, writing, and arithmetic. I, I And call me old fashioned, but I think that's, that's the model that provides a a terrific foundation for education. Mm -hmm. The social stuff, although, you know, we're social beings Mm -hmm. and children need to learn about the the social things, but I don't believe that that needs to be the focus of education. That to me is peripheral. Mm -hmm. And and would you say, uh, I'm going to say it, and then you tell me if you agree with me. Um, Really, you know, the Schools are not there to promote a social agenda. Uh, Now, there are schools that are, you know, private schools, uh, 
you know, faith-based schools and so forth that are very clear and open and say, hey, you know, here's a focus of education we would like to provide to your children. And then parents choose whether or not they want that or not. And then they do, you know, they follow through on that. But by and large, particularly public education that, you know, has at least 80% of America's students in it, um, you know, that should not be its focus. Uh, there are plenty of other areas uh, out here in, in our society. I mean, there are churches and community groups and civic organizations and uh, all kinds of things, uh, you know, that families are engaged in. And certainly the family core, the family nucleus is, has social values. And those values should be where, that's where uh, children should learn these values. And schools should not be teaching things that are in conflict with what they're learning at home and in those places where their families choose to engage them. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Melvin. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think it's, it, it's not a good thing to turn our children into activists. Yeah. And that's what I fear is occurring mm-hmm. is that it's it's more of a it, it's more of a propaganda activism mm-hmm. idea that that's being thrown out there now and I we have to fight it. Thanks for listening. Here at the Noah Webster Educational Foundation, we provide relevant conversations to educate and encourage you to engage with your local government and school system. Whether you're a parent, educator, legislator, or simply a concerned citizen. Before we end today's program, here's a snippet of our next episode. We base our prison population on the third grade reading scores. And it correlates. You've got about 30,000 kids who can't read in third grade, and you end up with 30,000 prisoners. You get that early childhood piece in there, and you those numbers drop substantially. Join the conversation today on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or visit our website at www.nwef.org. We'll see you next time on The State of Education with Melvin Adams.